Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 29 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.30, it is the first of a two-segment chat with stand-up comedian Derek Drescher ahead of his shows at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. And a mere seconds, helping you DJs handicap the football weekend with my buddy Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniatovich. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at CourtesyWave, and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Sam Paniatovich is the lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, contributes to FoxSports.com, hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast, and he joins this show every Friday for a couple of seconds to handicap the football weekend. Sam, thank you as always for the time. How you doing today? Getting ready for a full weekend of NFL and one game of college football, buddy. I'm good. How about you? I'm good. That's right. This is the time of year where things temporarily slow down before bowl season ramps up. So this will be the one week we're not talking a ton of college football, but uh, going forward, that will certainly be back uh, as part of the equation. Now, before we get into the sports gambling for this weekend, Sam, I do need to give you huge props because you were just on Dan Patrick's gambling podcast. Was this yesterday that you recorded with the legendary Dan Patrick? I couldn't believe it. He was a guy that I listened to every day when I was in college and then after college. When I was starting in this business and you and I worked together in Chicago, I wanted to do a daily talk show and I always appreciated the way that Dan interviewed his guests. I thought he was the best and still is the best at getting the most out of his guests. So for this to come full circle and for me to be a person of expert, I guess. I don't call myself an expert. He calls he called me an expert, and I said, I'm an analyst, not an expert, and he laughed. But I did his uh, podcast, Dan Patrick Takes a Gamble, drove down to Connecticut. We did about 35, 40 minutes with him and the crew, and I was just – I was trying to keep my cool. I did a decent job, I think, but, man, when you're shooting free throws in a Dan Patrick studio with Dan Patrick, <laughs> what is life? Life is pretty damn good. That's what life is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not over-exaggerating either when I say Dan Patrick is one of those guys that I've always looked up as. Like, I've received some props over the years for being a pretty good interviewer. There's certain people that I think about not copying necessarily, but emulating and understanding that there's a conversational tone that you can strike. And he's always done such a good job of that. I've also heard over the years from uh, several people who have been around him that he is just a really cool dude to go along with being a great broadcaster. That's not always the case with good broadcasters. Typically, the nice guys tend to be real a-holes away from the microphone. Dirty little secret that a lot of people may not know about. But was Dan Patrick a a pretty cool dude, too, in your experience? Oh, yeah. He came out after the interview. He had to go do another interview with Gronk for his uh, his main show, the Dan Patrick show. Jeez. But he came in to the side studio where I was working, shook my hand, thanked me again for coming down, said that, you know, maybe we can do something again soon. And as he left the room, his producer <laughs> looked at me and said, he doesn't do that for just anybody. And wow. that just I, I almost fainted at that point because a guy that. I just grew up idolizing is now telling me, Hey, thanks for coming. And thanks for doing this. And it's just, I'm sounding like a, like a Swifty right now, but it, that for me, he is Taylor <laughs> Swift. Put it that way. 
that's a good way to put it, man. I'm so happy for you and just where you've gone with your career that an opportunity like that exists and that he's uh, paying you such compliments on the other side too. Now, you just wrote a piece for Fox Sports stating the case for Tyreek Hill as the MVP in the NFL this year, and I believe you have a, a little bit of money on that prospect as well. What is the argument that you're making for Tyreek Hill as the league MVP this season? He's the most unguardable player in the NFL. And, you know, we've watched a lot of really bad offense this year. Backup quarterbacks, horrible attacks. But really, Trey, this league is supposed to be about three things. Speed, skill, and big plays. Tyreek Hill is almost the definition of that. He's going to shatter the receiving record set by Calvin Johnson. He's going to have 2,000 yards. He's going to probably have a chance to get 20 touchdowns. As of today... He has 611 yards after the catch. Wow. After the catch. He'll probably finish that with about 900. And I'm telling you, like, the lazy narrative is to keep making these quarterbacks of the best team the favorite. Early on, it was Josh Allen and Burrow. Then it was Tua. Then it was Lamar. Then it was Mahomes. Then it was Hurts. Then the Eagles lose to the Niners. And now Purdy's the favorite. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, who does more? for his team, and who is more valuable than Tyreek Hill? You take Hill off the Dolphins, they probably have three more losses. Purdy's good. Lamar's awesome. Mahomes is exceptional. But the Dolphins without Tyreek Hill this year are just another offense. And to me, I know a receiver's never won it. But if there's one year where there's kind of okay quarter play, quarterback play, there's nobody throwing for 5,000 yards or 50 touchdowns this year. This is the year a receiver could do it and probably should do it. I completely agree with you, and it always bothers me. This is not just an NFL MVP problem. This is a Heisman Trophy problem, too. I get that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the one exception with the Heisman finalist, which will be announced this weekend. Like, Stop saying that this is the MVP of a league or of the sport when the reality is, is that you're picking the best quarterback each and every year. Like Devondre Sweat, the Texas Longhorns defensive lineman, should be a Heisman Trophy finalist right now. He was far and away the best defensive lineman in college football this year and a big reason why Texas has a chance to win a national championship right now too. So your argument with Ty- Tyreek Hill, I'm completely on board with. And anybody that wants to point to Tyreek Hill having an extra game to break Calvin Johnson's record, yardage-wise, like average yards per game-wise, he's ahead of where Calvin Johnson was the year that he set that record, that, that receiving record too. So you can throw that part of the argument out the window. Tyreek Hill is just having that exceptional of a season right now. Dude, last week in the first half, He had a 60-yard touchdown and a 78-yard touchdown. And then he didn't even play in the second half. Wow. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, I know we love Dak Prescott down there in Texas, but Dak Prescott plays in the third and fourth quarter against horrible teams. He's been padding stats against the Giants and the Commanders and the Panthers. And, like, Tyreek Hill played 31 snaps last week and still had two touchdowns of 60 and 78 yards. If he played the whole game – He would have 400 yards maybe, but they didn't do it because they need him for the playoffs. Now, we do have one college football game this weekend, Sam. It's tomorrow, of course. It is the annual Army-Navy matchup. Army is getting closer to modernizing their offense. They're actually three-point favorites in this game. Over under a very Iowa Hawkeyes football like 28 and a half right now. And uh, this is one of your money picks this weekend, but it's not either of those things. It's the first quarter under six and a half. Why do you think we'll go under six and a half in the first quarter between Army and Navy? 
Yeah, this is a, a pick that's going to make a lot of people go, wow, this guy's a degenerate. And you <laughs> might think that, but I'm doing math here. To me, this is not degeneracy. It's actually sort of smart. We've talked a lot this year about Iowa, you and I. This is like watching Iowa play Iowa. Ooh. That's what it's going to be. You know, I mean, these offenses can't move the ball. They can't pass. They both come in averaging 17 points per game, which is not great. I don't like the half or the full game, though, because if it's 10 to 10 after four quarters and we go to overtime, it, it might crawl over, and I'm just going to avoid that. First quarter, the total is 6.5, so I need 0 3-0, 3-3, 6-0, Whatever. It's all possible. These teams can't move the ball, Trey. It's going to be run, 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 punt, run, run, incompletion, punt, run, 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 punt. Like, th- this is going to be the first half as both of these teams try and find their footing. They play tight because it's Army against Navy. The fans are going nuts. There's American pride all over the place. But this is not like watching Washington play Texas. This is going to be, like I said, Iowa playing Iowa, essentially. So I do like that first quarter under six and a half. And people are going to laugh, but I think they're going to laugh even more when they watch this product. He is Sam Paniatovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the lead handicapper at Nesson up in Boston. Also contributes to Fox Sports. Has the Chicken Dinner podcast. Occasionally appears on the Dan Patrick Gambling podcast. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at SP Shoot. And you can hear him on this show every Friday during football season, breaking down the weekend's worth of games. Coming up, even though there is that's just that one college game that we just talked about, there are several NFL games that have Sam's attention. We'll get his thoughts on that, as well as Cowboys-Eagles, and a whole lot more right here on Sports Day Plus on 1027 ESPN. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back for one more segment with Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniatovich. He is a friend of mine who is the lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston. Contributes to FoxSports.com as well. Hosts the Chicken Dinner podcast and is on Twitter at SP Shoot. We talked about last segment. How big is Sam Paniatovich? Well, he was just on Dan Patrick's gambling podcast yesterday. A huge honor for Sam. Very proud of him for that. And uh, he is nice enough to join this show every Friday for a couple of seconds to talk football and a whole lot more. All right, Sam, on the NFL side of things, uh, you have three different money picks right now. Interestingly, you have the uh, the Bears. You like the Bears going up against the Detroit Lions as three-and-a-half-point dogs. Now, this is a Chicago team that very well could have beaten Detroit a few weeks ago. The Lions didn't mount a uh, massive comeback, but you think the Bears have the uh, the ability to get it done this time around, huh? I do. We had one loss, you and I, last week, and that was we took New Orleans plus four. Saints lost by five to the Lions, despite Dan Campbell trying his best to keep the Saints in that game. Yep. I, I think this guy is so overhyped as an in-game coach. Sure, he gets him ready to go. He's a motivator. The players love him. That's all fine. But he's sort of a, sort of a moron in-game, if you will. I mean, you're up 21 nothing against a team with a backup quarterback, and you can't take care of business. Like, that, that should not happen for a, a well-coached team. Let's also remember, Trey, the last time Jared Goff played in December in Chicago, 
He threw four interceptions and then cried after the game about how it was so cold and he couldn't feel his hands. <laughs> this is a this is a dome team going outside. The low in Chicago is 27. You might get some snow, but really, I look at the last matchup. The Bears were the better team for 56 minutes. They ran the ball at will. Justin Fields had 100 yards on the ground. This is the type of quarterback that gives Detroit's defense fits because he can extend plays. They're good against stationary guys. They aren't good against mobile guys. And we get the hook. There are some threes in the market now. If you have Detroit minus three and a half, I think you should scoop those points up. Chicago is going to be very live to win this game. I'm not going to call money line, but I think the Lions are in for a ball game on Sunday at Soldier Field. So give me Chicago three and a half. Do you think Justin Fields is the long-term answer for Chicago at quarterback, Sam? I I go back and forth on it. I would say 50-50. It all depends. You know, it doesn't matter what I think. It depends on what Ryan Poles thinks, the GM of the team. If you can get him, let's say the Bears get the first pick this year, which is very likely because Carolina trades the one to Chicago from last year's draft, right. and you can get Marvin Harrison Jr. for Justin Fields, and then you can take your pick, which is probably going to be six, seven, or eight, a left tackle, the kid from Penn State or the kid from uh, Notre Dame, the kid from Michigan, whoever you want. If you can put a legit number one receiver and a left tackle of the future around Justin Fields, you don't have to rebuild everything again. The problem with taking another rookie quarterback is that you're setting everything back again. So I, I happen to think they're going to keep Fields. This is only his third season as a starter. I'm not saying he's Tom Brady. But I think I'd rather have Justin Fields next year than have to deal with another young quarterback. So I'm, I'm in the camp that, all right, maybe they do keep him and actually put some more talent around him. Yeah, and he really start, was starting to cook this year and getting on the same page with DJ Moore before he suffered that thumb injury. It was disappointing, and I say that selfishly because I had him in two fantasy football leagues. But he was showing some signs this season before he got hurt once again. So uh, some of what you just laid out may uh, may actually help him a lot long-term. All right, one of your other money picks. Oh, boy, this is a game that I would probably stay away from altogether, but I'm the amateur here. You're the professional. It's Vikings at Raiders. Minnesota did announce that Josh Dobbs would remain the starting quarterback, and you do like Minnesota as field goal favorites in this one. Why? First off, you are far too kind. The NFL is like Plinko, man. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> to act like we know what's going to happen in a lot of these NFL games is crazy. I, I'm not going to ever say that anything is a lock, nor should anybody ever utter that word, lock, because it's the NFL. The NFL is a joke. The Patriots, did you watch the Patriots game last night? They couldn't score for six months, and then they score last night 21 in the first half. It's just, that's the NFL. But yep. that being said, Justin Jefferson's back from Minnesota, and that's a big deal because he is the queen on the chessboard. He can move in any direction. He can do anything on that field. And when you put Jefferson back on the field, everybody else goes back to their role. It's easier for Jordan Addison, for K.J. Osborne, for T.J. Hawkinson, for the quarterback, for Josh Dobbs to have the best receiver, arguably, in the league back in the the, uh, saddle. It makes life easier on everybody in purple. But really, Minnesota's defense has looked really good in the last month or so. They're a top-10 defense in a lot of the advanced metrics. And the Raiders' offense is just so erratic. They've got that young quarterback who's good but not great, obviously. If the Neil Hunter and guys can get to the pocket and pressure that pocket, 
the Vikings will be in a good spot here. This line went from two to two and a half to three, and even at three, I would lay it with Minnesota. I think the impact of Jefferson, even if he doesn't have a 10-grab, 100-yard game, his ability to just be available and allow everybody else to go back to normal, that's a big deal to me. And your fourth money pick this weekend involves the Falcons hosting the Bucks. Atlanta is two and a half point favorites. But that's not the number that you are uh, that you're hitting right now. You you like the forty one point over under. You like the over there for a Falcons team that has looked very bizarre offensively this year. Bucks have had some good moments with uh, Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, of course, getting another thousand yard season. But what has you so convinced that uh, this this number will hit the over forty one? Yeah, save your excitement for Atlanta and Tampa. <laughs> I actually need Atlanta to go over eight and a half wins. That's one of my bigger positions in the offseason. I need nine wins or more. And they have a loss by five, a loss by three, a loss by two. Just maddening results this year. But mm. I look at the last meeting between Atlanta and Tampa. Buddy, we had almost 750 yards of offense. Mm. Yet, the final score was 16 to 13. You've watched a lot of football in your life. When you get 750 yards, that's like a 27-24 game, right? It's, it's, it's up and down the field. Unless, the Ar- unless, that- Arthur, unless Arthur Smith is handing the ball off to Jonu Smith inside the red zone rather than Bijan Robinson. They had five turnovers combined in that game. And the cherry on top of the very poorly tasting Sunday, <laughs> they kicked two 24-yard field goals. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, which is the worst in terms of getting over the total. So having said all that, these offenses are a lot more efficient than people think, and assuming we don't get five more turnovers and two more 24-yard field goals, we're probably going to get more than 41 points. I would say this is probably going to hit 60 times out of 100. To me, in gambling math, that's good. You want to get 55, 56, 57. That's what everybody should aim for. This is a decent bet on the over at 41. So the game of the weekend in the NFL, Sam, is Eagles at Cowboys on Sunday night football. Dallas is three-and-a-half-point favorites, the over-under 51-and-a-half. Philly has looked beatable over the last month or so, and sure enough, that dam finally broke with San Francisco blowing them out in Philly last weekend. Think the Cowboys get it done this time, considering how close they were in Philly just a few weeks back? You know, Philadelphia's secondary is a lot different this time around. They have some injuries back there, and they just have some guys that just aren't delivering. I mean, you look at some of the pro football focus numbers. That Philly secondary was top five last year. It's nowhere near top five right now, which should be good news for a Cowboys team that has a lot of yak guys. Catch the ball, turn up field, and go. I mean, this should be a big game for CeeDee Lamb. Uh, should be a big game for Brandon Cooks. I was looking at Lamb's uh, props. His yardage prop receiving-wise is 90-and-a-half. I, I do kind of lean over there, minus 120 to score a touchdown. That feels like a decent bet. Anything offensive-related seems to be fair in this game. The total is 52, which tells you there's going to be scoring. I don't know that I'd go over 52, but I would look at these receivers on Dallas. Maybe it's Lamb to score a touchdown. Cooks to score a touchdown. You have to kick this Eagle secondary when it's down. And, brother, it is down right now. They got absolutely shredded by San Francisco. So Dallas should do a lot of things well through the air. You look at the Bills' point differential, Sam, and uh, you wouldn't think this is a 6-6 and football team, but here we are right now. Buffalo at 6-6 and goes into Arrowhead. 
The Chiefs have their own set of problems. Even though they're 8-4, and four, they are struggling mightily on offense. It's not often we see a Kansas City team at home uh, in the Pat Mahomes era as only a single-point favorite. It's essentially a pick em. But that's what this game looks like on Sunday afternoon at 325 Central. Uh, who do you like in this one, one way or the other, over, under, otherwise, uh, about Bill's Chiefs? Here's what I did with Buffalo, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I just talked about this with John Murray from the Westgate Superbook in Vegas. He's, a, he's their top bookmaker over there, one of their top book, bookmakers, rather. And he said that the respect for them is as real as it gets. And he told me that on a neutral field, the Bills would be favored basically over any team in the AFC. Hmm. And you say, wow, that's kind of weird. Well, the, the talent is there. The quarterback is there. Everything is there. They just haven't delivered. They are the most maybe disappointing team of the entire season. But what I did this morning was I bet just a little bit on Buffalo to make the playoffs. It's a tough track, but if they can win this game, which as you said, they're only a one point dog at Arrowhead, which is crazy to even think that they're going to go from plus three fifty to maybe plus one eighty. So it's a number grab for me. If they win this game, the narrative will completely change. And after Kansas city, they host Dallas, They go to the Chargers. They take on the Patriots at Miami. If they can go three and two in this five-game stretch, I think they make the playoffs. Great advice there. He is Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniotovich, lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, contributes to FoxSports.com, has the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Follow him on Twitter at SPShoot and hear him on this show every Friday for a couple of seconds breaking down the football weekend. Sam, thank you as always for the time, my friend. All right, good luck, everybody. See you later. Coming up, it's the first of a two-segment chat with ex-con Derek Drescher. He's now a stand-up comedian. He's going to be at Cap City Comedy Club tonight and tomorrow. That's up next on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Eric Drescher is a stand-up comedian who is going to be honing his craft here in Austin this weekend. A couple of shows at the Cap City Comedy Club Red Room Friday and Saturday, 8 o'clock. Go to capcitycomedy.com for those tickets. Derek, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm great. Thanks for having me, Trey. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. So uh, we're going to get into your uh, your comedy career because there's a lot more that's talked about uh, about another element of your life uh, that has to do with uh, you being uh, in and out of prison from about the age of 12 all the way to 34 before you get things turned around. Part of that is you taking more of a focus on your own physical health. And look, that story's been told a ton, and we may touch on that here and there, but I very rarely, in listening to your podcast or listening to the podcast, about your story hear about the stand-up side of things which is what you freaking do for a living man so why don't we start here with the stand-up thing have you performed in austin before yes i have i've went down twice actually this will be my fourth time i've done the creek in the cave okay i did uh what's that spider room the grant the ballroom velveta room oh uh, uh spider house spider house yeah i did that there's that show on congress comedy on congress i think yeah were you here for a moon tower comedy fest no i've never done moon tower hopefully i get into moon tower one day so what are your impressions of the comedy crowds in austin i mean my first trip to austin i really really liked it because basically we got off the plane checked into the airbnb real quick and then we had to like run out we had uh three shows that night and i 
I killed all three times, and I was like, yo, this is the best. The New York crowds are so, they think they're so smart. The Austin people are better. And then, you know, then I end up bombing a couple times, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's the same everywhere. So, <laughs> there's a lot of comics I respect down in Austin. Stand-up comedy is the great equalizer. You'll you'll tell the same joke the same exact way, but depending on the audience watching, you'll either get huge laughs or uh, you'll get silence and crickets as a result, too. It's an art form that uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense at times, but then other times it makes complete sense, too, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. The ones that are really, really good at it, you know, they, they make it make sense for, for all of us that are, you know, toiling down here in the uh because they say you really don't you can't really be good good until you're like eight nine ten years in you know so how long have you been doing it for six okay so it's it's 50 50 with me (laughs) (laughs) what initially inspired you to get up on stage so I messed around in like talent shows when I was younger. Like I used to do impressions and stuff like that. And my family in my house, comedy, stand-up comedy was uh, like, you know, something that was watched regularly. Eddie Murphy, Raw, so like Sinbad or, you know, Ellen used to do stand-up. My parents would watch that stuff. And then uh, I remember there was even this guy named Bob Nelson. He had like a one-man show on HBO when I was a kid. But Def Comedy Jam. I was allowed to watch that. Hmm. So like I, I always knew about stand up and I always enjoyed watching it. And I don't you know what you you know, I was I got really bad on drugs and to get my life straight till I was like in my thirties. And I I was actually living in a facility and I I remember this guy I was talking to, he was like, you know, you should try stand up and I was like, I've always wanted to. And then uh I was watching some stuff on YouTube and I came across this guy, Mike Di Stefano, who like had like a similar past Hmm. as me he was making like that stuff funny and i was like if this guy can do it maybe possibly i have a shot so that was where the initial fire started so did you just find uh open mic after that point where you no i started writing jokes and i wrote jokes for months but they weren't like really even though, like, I wanted to talk about that stuff, I was doing more observational things. And uh, I was just really bombing bad at mics once I started going. It was, like, really, really bad. And, like, the only times I would ever get any kind of reaction is when I would be, like, like, I gave up heroin for this. I'd say some like that. Then I started to, you know, write more about about that stuff. That guy really inspired me to want to do it, but then I was like afraid to write about that stuff. And I thought I was going to go like this observational route, which I'm more of like a storyteller. So it was those throwaway, honest moments that made you realize that you needed to be a little bit more sincere with what it is that you were trying to write about then. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. When did you start? I mean, is that when you started making people laugh more consistently too? Was when you went back to the drawing board? with what you were writing during the daytime? Oh, 100%, 100%. Like, yeah, I mean, I was still learning two joke structure and yeah. set up punch and misdirects and filters and all that, which is still like some stuff I, I need to continuously relearn. But um, once I was able to figure out, this is the idea, I think it's funny. You know, and this is what I 
feel like the end is going to be now how do i string that all together and you know make it a continuous stream of funny 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 really funny and then you know but you know this is stuff that you uh as a comedian you you battle with regularly you know what i mean as someone huh? who's at it for six years now and obviously you're getting booked at cap city which is the helium people they obviously think enough of you want to fly you into austin like yeah. what what is your i guess what is your practice like right now in terms of how often you are going and finding stages to hone your craft and then obviously getting to travel places on the weekend to uh to try I mean, to make I, a different I, I go up, random people i go up every night I'm very grateful for that because there's so many comedians in New York City. There's a lot of people who are very funny that are not getting the opportunity to go up every night. Just because sometimes people don't know who you are. You get lost in the sauce. You got to, like, get out there and make a name for yourself and um, so people know who you are. The fact that I get to get up every night and, you know, there's contrast between me and what other comedians talk about. Like, you know, there the comedian before me might be talking about dating, politics, race, who knows. And then I'm going to come up and I'm going to just talk about like my experiences with like, you know, drug use, recovery, jail, freedom. You know what I mean? And like that. I I mean, it's obviously not a stretch to say that you appreciate your freedom a little bit more once you uh, once you have finally turned that corner and you realize that you're not just going to be in and out of prison. Right. Going forward, or at least that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. And so even I always I tell myself this and, you know, just I'd be like, listen, even if you bomb, they're going to remember something you said. You know what I mean? Because because of what the material is, you know, what the subject matter is. So your uh, your day job or one of your day jobs is uh, serving as a trainer for Con Body, which is a uh, is it a facility or is it a group in New York City that only hires ex-cons yeah. to serve as personal trainers and you're you're essentially teaching people to do workouts that can be done at a jail cell uh, yes. correct that is the whole gist of it right there you hit it you hit the nail on the head yeah so it was started by the founder cos Marte. you know he got uh, arrested for uh, uh you know distribution of narcotics when he was he was young i think early 20s and he was like really, really out of shape. And they told him like during one of his physicals while he was incarcerated, they're like, you know, you, the way you look, you know, you might not make it through this bid. You know what I mean? Your, you know, your blood pressure's through the roof. Your heart ain't working that good. And then he, uh, you know, you just he was like, oh, I really want to see my son. I want to make it out of here so I can see my son. And I get he lost like uh, I think like seventy pounds in like six months. A bunch of other guys in in the prison started to like you know uh, follow what he was doing so he had like 20 guys lose like a thousand pounds combined or something like that wow and uh then he started he started the gym when he got out which wasn't easy for him because you know he had to like go into these programs that would accept people who are coming in from re-entry and then basically he's doing these elevator pitch um competitions and people like gave him the money to start the business and uh he started Combody, and he he will only hire you if you're formally incarcerated. He but he just he doesn't hire sex offenders and stuff like that, which is cool with me. So uh, you you said before I hit record that you're a, you're a pretty good trainer. What makes you so good as a trainer? Uh, so the thing when you're training is like you. So there's a style, there's a Combody style, which is anything that can be done inside of a jail cell. Yeah. Right. Anything that can be done in, in, in inside of like a you know a six by nine. So 
there's that and then there's your twist on it and then also while you're teaching these classes you also have to be genuine with your clientele right they got to trust you they got to believe that you know this money that they're paying they're they're coming to see you and they're gonna you know they're gonna get their money's worth you're gonna kick their ass they're gonna break a sweat you also got to know when to be you know tough with them and then when to lay off a little bit and you know have them crack a smile during class to get them through this 45 minutes of torture that i've created you know what i mean so my clientele that i have i've I've had them for years now about six years so, so actually no longer eight eight years now this is uh essentially crossfit with a little bit less luster right and less oh yeah there's no hopefully. no weights it's all body weight all body weight stuff oh yeah so so air so squats you, and push-ups and maybe pull-ups Yes, pull-ups we incorporate. So we're doing jumping jacks, heel kicks, squat jacks, uh, push-ups, inchworms, leg lifts, uh, heel holds, wall sits, all different kinds of burpees. We're just, it's it's nuts, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize how little it takes to get yourself in better physical shape. Of course, diet is a part of that, but you don't need to be a member of, of a high-priced fancy gym to start making the effort with strength training or resistance training, whatever you want to call it. You, it doesn't take a, an array of weights or workout machines. All it really does take is uh, body weight-assisted activities and the motivation on how to do so. And that's obviously where you guys come to play. That's really cool to hear about. He is Derek Drescher, stand-up comedian. He's going to be at Cap City Comedy Club tonight at 8, tomorrow night at 8 as well, performing in the Red Room. Go to capcitycomedy.com to grab tickets. Coming up, one more segment with Derek on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back for one more segment with stand-up comedian Derek Drescher in town this weekend to headline Cap City Comedy Club's Red Room. He's got a show tonight at 8, tomorrow night at 8 as well. For tickets and more info, go to capcitycomedy.com. By the way, Derek is also a personal trainer with Con Body. He is an ex-con after all, as we discussed briefly last segment. Spent the better part of 32 years locked up. Got his act together as a result of taking physical fitness more seriously. And now he is a part of a group that helps others get themselves in better shape with workouts that you could do from the confines of a prison cell. It's a pretty brilliant idea, Derek. And uh, look, what is the uh, what is your least favorite exercise? Because we all have to put ourselves through those things that we hate doing, but we know are good for us. My least favorite one? Yeah, I, I asked that because you just said burpees, and man, I, I get that burpees are uh, are really good for you if you do them. I I hate burpees though. Hate well, the thing with the burpees is, I I see so many people that I that do them wrong. Yeah, like they 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 come they slam down on their hips when they come mm. down, like or or they hit their knees first, which really you shouldn't be doing. Should be giving yourself some resistance on the way down, coming down flat, and then driving yourself up when you come back up. But yeah, I would say I have this thing called the flat line, which is five sets of 10 burpees. And um, I used to do it just five sets of 10 regular burpees, but now I do a regular set at the beginning and a regular set at, at the end. And in between that, you'll have like uh, 
it'll be a burpee with a heel touch, which means you do the full burpee, but then you come up and you touch your heels and then a knee touch where you jump up and touch your knees after the burpee and then a hot sauce burpee where you kick your legs out and then do a donkey kick where you try to kick yourself in the ass and then drive yourself up. So yeah, those right now wouldn't make me too happy. I'll tell you that. And I do that at the end of class. So you said so. that you're at a point right now where you are, uh, you're the trainer who's really good at training while you're not uh, necessarily reflecting that physically. You had points in your life where you were in better shape over the last six years, but right now you're just in chill mode, right? You're focusing on the stand-up comedy. You're helping to get people in better shape, but uh, you've gotten a little bit lax. That's okay though. But my yeah. question based on that is, do, do you have plans in the near future, maybe a new year's resolution or something uh, to try and get yourself back into ultra marathon shape? if I ever run another race, the half will be the longest distance I ever run again. Half marathon. Half marathon, the 13, 13.1 miles. If I ever decide to run that long again. Is that just because when you've run in the past, that's the distance that you run where you don't, you don't feel like your body is completely broken afterwards. Cause like even a marathon ruins people. Yeah. Like you don't need to stop for water that much during a half given the the temperature and all that stuff you know what i mean yeah. like uh, you could get by with like min- minimal uh hydration mm-hmm. and uh you know and food throughout uh, nu- you know nutrition but if i have so many injuries now man like yeah. this big sneaker company reached out to me because of my story they were like hey you know we know you were a junkie and running helps you get clean and we want to use your face on like this worldwide um you know marketing campaign they're doing like fight to run or right to run and during the photo shoot i told them too i go listen if you really want to do these pictures i'm fat right now <laughs> you know what i'm saying and i was like listen and so they give me the date and i go how far off can we push this date and I think they gave me like an extra month. So I was like, I'm going to really try. And I started dieting, but not much weight had come off. And I'm at a point now where movement is more where I'm going to lose my weight, like making sure I get the right amount of steps in, you know, doing some incline walk-ups and things like that. Just eating right and and resting right. Like I, I will drop weight, but it just didn't come off quick. The day for the photo shoot hits. I get out there and it's a lot of it is like streetwear, urban wear. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'll put their hoodie on, throw my jean jacket over, take they'll take a picture of me in the subway. I'm like, oh, this is great. And they're like, all right, now we're going to for the athletic shoot. And I'm like, all right. So I'm like, look, I don't really want to run. And they're like, oh, we can get you fake running. So like I'm doing these stupid poses. And you know, running clothes are tight, man. Like I I'm like really like I'm like trying to suck it in, shoulders back. <laughs> I go to do this pose for a fake run and like I hear what sounded like a gunshot (sighs) and I felt it in my body. And then I remember this lady goes, what was that? Did you hear that? I go, yeah, I think I go, I think it was something inside my body. And she went, she like gagged a little bit. It was gross. So I tore the ligament in my foot, the medial plantar fascia, complete tear. Which the doctor said it was better that it was a complete tear. The woman heard the pop because normally when you injure yourself, you're the only one that hears that pop in between your ears. She actually it echoed it. through the park. Oh. It was it was gross. She was like, "What was that?" It was something in my body. It didn't bruise right away. So, like an idiot, I finished the f- photo shoot. Uh. 
And then by the evening, I was dragging my foot around me. I, and I was on the road the next day, got up, got on a plane, went to Miami. My foot blew up on the plane. Oh, man. yeah. Like, you could see the tension on the sneaker, you know? Yeah, and then I hobbled on stage that night. I ended up being in a boot. And then, you know, it's funny, within a couple of weeks after that, I stuck to my diet like a bunch of weight just came off. And I got myself back down to about like a little under 190. Okay. One one seventy would be the healthiest for me right now. I'm I'm hovering around two hundred right now. Okay, how's the foot? So it was doing really good. I actually ran a mile on it a couple times after the boot came off, but uh-huh. now it doesn't feel as good. So I'm also you know older. I got into comedy late. I'm forty two. I was like thirty five when I started doing comedy. So yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, I'm 45 I'm, right now, Derek, and tried to remain pretty physically active. It was around 30 that I really got control over my own physical health. So I, I really you look healthy right now. You look like healthy. Like getting it together and it, it being a starting the starting point is you realizing that you have more control over your health than you ever thought. But at 45, I'm starting to break down now too. Like I've got this hip issue, and I'm like, is this the end for me? Like, am I not going to be able to? chase a ball around and call it working out anymore? Like, am I just going to have to do the very basic geriatric stuff at the gym going forward? I refuse to accept that. But unfortunately, that thought has started to creep into my head now. Well, the thing is, this is like, the body is a machine, right? And I know this sounds so cliche. We've all heard about it before. But I, I, I keep it simple with myself. Like, I just remember, like, you know, if I had a car that was 13, 14 years old and just me beating the driving it here, driving it there, hitting all these bumps. You know, even though I'm getting oil changed and all that stuff, you know, and I, I I look at my foot and I'm like, you know what? That's a 42-year-old foot in there. That's 42 years old. Think about, you know, you think about things that are 42 years old, you know, They've, they start to fall apart or they don't, they don't work as well. You know what I mean? But in this day and age, I feel like you're right. It is, it is up to us, like. Probably through physical therapy, you could help yourself out with your with your hip a lot. And if I ate better and moved around as much as I was supposed to, I would keep my weight at a very healthy level. Because I really do feel like my injuries come from my fluctuation in weight. Yeah, that, that'll do it. I mean, it puts more stress on the ligaments and tendons and then also the bones too. And for your feet, uh, they're not brittle per se, but they can be. Especially yeah. if you're, you know, you're you're having to do a pose for a magazine shoot. As as unique as these circumstances are, you're doing a pose for a magazine shoot, and you weren't able to drop as much weight as you wanted to. You know, I need to write a joke about that. I need I, to write I a joke about do. how I tore my ligament pretending to run. <laughs> that's pretending to run. They owe me like three thousand Swiss francs for that too. So, what does to that come out to U.S. dollars wise? A little bit. So, three thousand. So, one of our dollars is worth a, a is a dollar fifteen. No, no. One of their dollars is worth a dollar fifteen American money, which pisses me off. You know, the so American you're gonna dollar. get more than three thousand U.S. dollars then. Yeah, when I was a young man, the American dollar was the top dollar, and it's not anymore. The, the Swiss franc, dude. What the hell? What the what? I'll be honest, I didn't even realize the Swiss franc was still a thing. I thought that they would have adopted the euro by now. So what I what I understand now is that the euro don't exist really anymore. They Everybody went back to their own currency. 
Oh, wow. Don't, don't, don't trust everything I say, though, because I'm, <laughs> this is just what I've heard. You know what I mean? So did you end up with a, a bunch of gear from this company then, too? Oh, dude, yeah. I call them the, uh, the Dope Fiend 4s, the sneakers they gave me. <laughs> They're not, like, for me. You know, they weren't, like... But I, had, I got a bunch of different color schemes. I'll be honest with you, I gave quite a few of them away already. There's a sneaker that I tore my my ligament in. You know, I just you don't, don't... Do you still wear that sneaker then? I One time. I try to throw them out. My girlfriend, like, hit them in the house. She's like, they're too nice. You can't just get rid of them. Maybe if I lose a lot, if I get down to 170, I'll, I'll try to wear them again. But I'm putting them on now. Got to be careful with some of these new running shoes. One, a lot of them, not to say that these shoes are ugly, a lot of them are ugly, but they're also weird fits also where it's like super high through the arch or the heel. And it's like, I don't know if this is good for your foot. Well, it's like even a lot of the Nike running sneakers, like they, that one sneaker was, they designed it around Iliad Kipchoge's foot. Yep. Which He's a five foot four, 140 pound man. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, not many of us are are that so it's it's uh you know they got to make some shoes for the uh the um you know the the the, the slightly plump five foot eight american guy you know what i mean <laughs> exactly to get my- well uh derek thank you so much for the time today man safe travels to and from austin this weekend and i hope you get a couple of crowds at cap city uh that make you feel good about your stand-up uh when they're all said and done friday and saturday night in the red room I appreciate you, Trey. Thank you so much, man. All right. Another week is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. We will talk to you on the other side starting at 6 p.m. In the meantime, hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.